Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Summer is the time of year when we all take a vacation. Some of you like going to the beach. Some of you like the mountains. Others of you have your old standbys that you visit every year. And some of you like taking a vacation and going to places that you've never been. And that's what we're gonna do through our series Vacation. We are going to take you to places where most of you have never been before. Each week, we're gonna travel to some of the legendary places in the world and hear some stories that change the course of history. So pack your bags, it's time for a vacation. Today, we are traveling to Mount Sinai. Located in the region today known as the Sinai Peninsula, Mount Sinai is over 7,000 feet high and the site of some of the greatest moments in the Bible. It was there that God actually talked to Moses through the burning bush. And it was there that God led those free Israelites to travel to, and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And today we're going to hear the story of when God spoke to the prophet Elijah. But before we get to that story, let me tell you how Elijah ended up here on Mount Sinai. You see, in 860 BC, Israel was ruled by King Ahab, who was considered to be the worst king to ever reign over Israel. And he was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel, who was more wicked than he was. And they brought the worship of other gods into Israel, and they did more to lead the people away from God than any other king. So God raises up the prophet Elijah to confront Ahab and to tell him that God is sick and tired of the way that he is leading his people. And if Ahab doesn't change his ways, God's actually going to shut off the rain. In other words, God is going to hit Ahab where it counts, in his pocketbook. God was going to shut down the economy. Well, Ahab didn't listen, and so God stopped the rain. And this drought lasted for about three years, and God provided for Elijah every step of the way. And then he sends him back to Ahab, and he tells him to tell Ahab that he's going to let it start raining again. But first, he's going to settle the score and show that he is the one and only true God. So Elijah confronts the 450 prophets of Ahab on the Mount Carmel. And there, God shows his power that he is the one true God by raining down fire from heaven. And when the Jewish people see the power of God, they raise up against the other prophets, and they kill him. See, God gave Elijah a great victory there. But we see it was short-lived because when Jezebel hears about what happened and how all of her prophets were killed, she threatens Elijah. In 1 Kings 19.3, she says that she was going to kill him. And we find out that what happened when Elijah hears this, he was afraid and he ran for his life. And today we're going to show you how God will see you through difficult circumstances. So sit back and relax because we're going to travel to Mount Sinai. Well, a couple months ago, I finally gave in and I got a new cell phone. Now, for a lot of people, that's really exciting. Now, for this guy, you have to understand I'm what you call um, frugal. Now, part of it's by personality, but some of it is out of necessity. See, I'm the only guy at my house, and then there's three lovely ladies. 
So I gotta make sure there's enough for them left over. I've got my wife, Jessica, and, and two beautiful daughters, Adeline and Ainsley, and I'm very excited to announce we've got another girl on the way. Oh, thank you guys so much. Uh, but to clarify, I'm talking about a puppy, okay? So just make sure I set the record straight there. We're getting a puppy today. It is a female, so it still works. I am frugal. We got any frugal friends in the house today? Three. Okay, here's the plan, guys. We're going to meet out in the lobby after service concludes. We're going to carpool over to Lupe Tortilla. We're going to tor get fajitas for one because we're pinching those pennies, baby. That's how we roll. Not frugal, but I want you to be rest assured that frugality ends with me. My kids and my wife, they're well taken care of. I'm just frugal because I want to make sure that I'm getting good use of everything. I'm a good steward, you might be able to say. So I wear kind of like the same seven sets of outfits every single week. I wear my shoes until they fall apart, and the same applies to cell phones. So I had this iPhone 6 for like seven years. Now I was planning on keeping it for another 25, baby. You guys would be talking through holograms, and I'm still sending text messages, and I was okay with that. But I had to give in because my cell phone stopped working properly. Now, what's interesting about it is that on the outside, the phone looked absolutely fine. It looked pretty much just like it did when it was brand new when I bought it. You know, there were no cracked screen or scratches on the edges. It looked pretty much brand new, but apparently there was a problem going on in the inside of the phone, and it was a progressive decline. At first, I stopped being able to receive messages, text and email alike, sporadically. And I didn't even know that was happening until a friend and some coworkers came to me and they confronted me, you know, they're like, hey, how come you're ignoring my messages? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not getting your messages. And you know, when somebody says that in 2021, it's more like they just don't want to respond to your messages. It's about as believable as the dog ate my homework. But really, I was not aware they were sending me messages. So they pulled their phone out and they'd go, look, say, message sent. And I'd go, no history, you know, trying to make sure they know I'm not ignoring you. But then it got worse. Not only was I not able to receive messages, I wasn't able to consistently send them. So when I put a message into the text and send it, it would pop back up saying message failure. But then it got even worse and then I wasn't able to consistently make phone calls and make a connection to the people that I care most about. And so I knew at that point in time, it's over. I need to get something new. Something has to change. And in some way, this is a picture of what it's like to experience depression and anxiety and other forms of mental illness. On the outside, things can look fine. But the problem is occurring on the inside. There's a malfunction, there's a breakdown, oftentimes that no one sees, and it's a progressive decline. At first, we're not able to consistently receive messages. We have a hard time receiving compliments and affirmation. We don't feel worthy of it. So the only thing we know to do is to reject it. We don't see and recognize the blessings of God, even though they're right in front of us. We can't receive joy of any kind but then it progressively declines in that even though despite our best attempts, we have a hard time making meaningful connections with people, much less we don't even have the desire anymore to make those connections. Depression is a complicated thing. Uh, it comes in various intensity levels and comes for various reasons. Sometimes it's because of, of an injury or an illness. Other times it might be stress-related. It might be genetic, a chemical imbalance. It, it might be because of some sort of trauma or perhaps because of some sort of episode of personal failure. 
It's complicated, but it's common. I heard this one psychologist describe depression as the common cold of mental illness. What? Common cold? Tens of millions of adults in America, they experience depression at some level every single year, not to mention kids and teenagers. So when I look at an audience of this size, I, I can guarantee there are people in your section, probably even on your row, that have either battled it in the past or currently battling it today. And there's a big problem in that there's a stigma associated with it. People who battle mental illness feel like they have to keep quiet. They don't want to speak up for fear of shame, but they also don't want to burden other people. And others who hear it might not know how to respond. They might give shallow answers like, oh, I don't know, just pray more, worship harder. And I believe in both of those things and God is for them. But that can't be the only answer that we give to people. So those who struggle with it, they, they feel like they have to keep silent. But I'm here to tell you today, we are not going to be quiet about it. We're going to get real loud about it because depression does its most destructive work in our lives when it stays in the dark. So we're gonna shine a big old light on it. And I want you to know that if you struggle with depression or you know someone in your life who has ever battled it or they're in the battle right now, that when you come through those doors, you don't have to pretend anymore. You can be real. You can take off the mask. You have to. And in addition to that, oftentimes pretending, it makes it worse. I know from my own life, pretending is even more stressful than the actual problem itself oftentimes. So we're not gonna pretend. I want you to know it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way and to not let anyone know. So we gotta talk about it. We gotta put it out in the open. We gotta stop pretending. Robin Williams, amazing actor. I was thinking this week as I was thinking through depression and mental illness and he popped in my mind and, and he had this great quote. He said that people don't pretend to be depressed. They pretend to be happy. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that's true? And as he's pretending, he's tricking everybody. He's like a master pretender, not only because that was his job to be a professional actor, but he, he, he deceived everybody. Very few people knew he actually struggled with mental illness, particularly depression, until it took his life. And as I was thinking about Robin Williams, I couldn't help but go down memory lane and think about some of his uh, greatest movies. Go and think about it. What, what is your favorite Robin Williams movie? Oh, I heard my favorite one. Yep, my favorite one is Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, do you, dear? Love me some Mrs. Doubtfire. Growing up, look, it was either Jean-Claude Van Damme, Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams. And Mrs. Doubtfire was my go-to. I love that movie. And as I was thinking about it, there's this scene in the movie towards the end when uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, he goes to this restaurant with his ex-wife and also his ex-wife's new love interest played by Pierce Brosnan. And as I describe what's happening in this movie, I realize they can't make this movie today. Uh, you can't get away with that. Uh, in fact, it's being canceled right now. You can't even find it anymore. Mrs. Doubtfire's gone. Hope you enjoyed it. Mrs. Doubtfire, He's in this restaurant and, and he leaves the table and he goes into the restroom to kind of make sure the mask is still on, everything's still good. And when he walks out of the restroom, he sees across the restaurant that there's Pierce Brosnan's character choking. And so what does Miss Doubtfire do? Swoops in and gives him the Heimlich and, and relieves that, that spicy food that's causing him to choke. Before he does that, Miss Doubtfire shouts, help is on the way. You remember that? 
Help us on the way. Would you take a minute? Just turn to somebody. And would you tell them? And you, by the way, you can say in a Scottish accent. That's totally fine. If you'd like to do that, it's totally fine. Or you can say it in your regular accent from Texas. Just tell them, help is on the way. Come on. Help is on the way. I really believe that. I believe help is on the way. I believe hope is on the horizon, and here's why. It's permanently grounded to the core of who I am because it's at the core of who God is. In Psalm 46, 1, it says, the Lord is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my very present help in time of need. So I believe, I believe if you're in that battle right now, help is on the way. Hope is on the horizon. But I also want you to know this, that if you're struggling with depression or you know someone who is, let me give you three thoughts real quick. Number one, it's more than likely not because of your sin. I am so tired of the devil telling you, shaming you, making you feel like it's something you did. It might be, but it's probably not. It's probably not because of your sin. It's also not because you're not successful and it's not because you're not spiritual. It's because you're tired on the inside. Tired on the inside. And you need some rest. And so the title of my message today is A Rested Development. I'm gonna find some rest today. Hope is on the horizon. Help is on the way. And to help me tackle that, we're gonna look at the story of Elijah. And Elijah is one of my favorite Bible characters for sure. And he's like the greatest of all the miracle working prophets. And I love the title he's been given. You ready? In scripture, he's known as the man of God. It's pretty good. Not a man of God, not one of many men of God. The man of God, movie phone. Now I've been called a lot of things in my life. <laughs> Hopefully good, mostly. But I've never been called anything remotely close to the man of God. Well, actually, there was this one time whenever uh, years ago I was a kid's pastor and this boy, he came up to me with great vibrance and, and enthusiasm and he shouted at me, Master Scott! And I was like, why, yes, that's me. Please speak, little one. You know, I didn't even correct him. For years, I let that go. Not because I have an ego, but because I always wanted to be a Jedi. Come on, 80s babies. Master Scott. The man of God. But not only that, Elijah has this incredible resume. I mean, it's packed with accolades. Can I share some with you? Good, I already planned on doing it. So Elijah, one time, he goes to this widow's house and, and unfortunately, this is a desperate situation. The widow's son has, has died and, and Elijah steps forward and he's like, not on my watch. And so he's like, stand back, lady. And you know, she's in this place of great despair as any parent would be. And, and so then Elijah like parachute jumps on top of this boy three times. I mean, imagine the trauma. And now he's like, she's like, what are you doing? Well, hold on. Three times and then raises this boy back to life. There's another time when Elijah was in this creek, this ravine, and he's hungry. He's like, Lord, so hungry right now. So hungry. And God's like, hey, I got you. Heaven Uber Eats on the way. He sends some ravens, some ravens to drop meat and bread to him. And Elijah's like, mm, that's great. Morning and night, he does that. Can you imagine being outside and you're like, Lord, I'm so hungry. 
so hungry. And he's like, no worries. Birds swoop in with Chick-fil-A sandwiches without the pickles because we're civilized. Dropping in your lap. And you're like, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Great. This is his life. There's another time when Elijah got into a foot race with a horse and he won the race. Hello, Olympics. This is incredible. My favorite thing about Elijah happened towards the end of his life. He's one of only two people in all of scripture that never died. You know how he went out? The Lord sent a chariot that was on fire to come down and pick up Elijah and carry him away. I don't know if the theme song of Chariots of Fire played, but man, that's how I want to go out. Elijah was an incredible man of God. And yet, despite all the accolades, all the accomplishments that Elijah had in his life, he still found himself in a valley under a juniper tree wishing he would die. Why was Elijah so depressed? In 1 Kings 19, that's where he found himself. But just one chapter before, in 1 Kings 18, he's on the top of the world. How many of you know that your life can be turned upside down in one chapter? One minute you're on top of the world, the next minute the world's on top of you. That's what happened to Elijah. If you remember from Pastor Rob's roll-in video, he explained what happened in 1 Kings 18. Remember, he facilitates this epic showdown between Yahweh, the one true God, and then Baal and Asherah, the false gods that Jezebel brought into the nation of Israel. And he's like, look, you're not gonna keep wavering back and forth, Israel. You're gonna have to choose this day which God you're going to serve. And I'll tell you which God is real. The one that sends fire down to consume the offering, that's the real God. And so sure enough, Yahweh, when called upon, he sends fire down, consumes the offering, licks up all the water that was drenched over the ox, the offering. And in that moment's time, Elijah gets to be a part of bringing an entire nation of people back to a place of repentance, back to a place of worshiping the one true God. And he is at the zenith, the pinnacle of his prophetic ministry career. And yet just one short chapter later, he finds himself in his place of greatest discouragement. What happened? Here's what I've realized in life. No one lives on the mountain. I don't care what house hunters has to say about mountain life. Nobody lives on the mountain. No one sustains perfection and success. Life's more about ebbs and flows and highs and lows and peaks and valleys and crosses and crests and troughs. You might be on the mountain right now. I hope you are. Mountain life's good. You might be on the mountain and things are amazing. The relationship between you and your spouse, it's so rich and life-giving. Everybody in your family has a clean bill of health. You're killing it at your job. You even put a pool in the backyard. Yes. Life's great. It's wonderful. You're on the mountain. But here's what I know. At some point in time, like Elijah, you're gonna step down off the mountain and into the valley. And if it's not you doing the stepping, someone or some situation is gonna push you off the mountain and into the valley. And I don't say that to scare you, I say that to prepare you because we have to reject the lie that sometimes we believe that life will either always be this great or it'll always be this grim. Come on, newly married couples, come on somebody. And that's not true. We need to celebrate the mountain moments, celebrate them, praise God. 
but then prepare ourselves for the valley. You want me to tell you something about mountains and valleys? When you're on the mountain, you recognize God as a God of victory. When you're in the valley, you recognize that God is a God of intimacy. So here's Elijah. Victorious one moment on the mountain. And now he's depressed and defeated in the valley. So we're gonna look at Elijah's story and I'm gonna point out four truths because I believe when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I believe that. And so I'm praying and believing for some freedom for, for people today. The four truths, two of them are gonna be observations about depression and anxiety and mental illness. And then the other two are gonna be action steps. We gotta do something. Okay, sometimes we need to be a human doing and sometimes we need to be a human being. Receive and act. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse one. Here's what happens. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Remember that Mount Carmel moment? He slayed all the prophets. Ahab's reign is at risk of collapsing, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me. Wait, that is not a woman voice. I'm sorry about that. I'm gonna rewind. May the gods strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree, also known as a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Evil Queen Jezebel puts a hit out on Elijah. Your life is over. And Elijah very uncharacteristically becomes frightened. He's fear-stricken and he runs away. The reason I say uncharacteristically is because never before this moment do we see Elijah fear-stricken. And he's been in a lot of terrifying moments. We see him full of, of bravery and courage. This is not the first time that someone of, of authority has said, I'm going to kill you. Ahab just said that a couple chapters back. And you don't see him panicking and freaking out. You don't. So why now? What's going on? He's tired. He's tired on the inside. Here's the first observation I want you to write down. Fear causes anxiety. Fear causes anxiety. Depression has a very close cousin. They do life together. I mean, where there is one, surely the other is to be found. There are two sides of the same coin, depression and anxiety. And if you experience some level, level of anxiety, depression's probably around the corner. If you experience depression, then anxiety's probably also in your sphere. But here's what I've also learned, is that although anxiety can cause depression and fear can cause anxiety, what's this fear thing all about? Here's what I've learned. I've learned that fear and worry, which are rooted in, they lead to anxiety, I've realized that really it's about control. I'm afraid I'm not in control anymore. I think that's what happened to Elijah. I think he was faced with the sobering reality he's not in control. But here's the secret, he never was. I think he thought, you know, I'm laying on dead young boys and bringing them back to life. I'm turning off the faucet of water of heaven. I'm calling down fire. I think he thought that he was in control. It was always God. And so now he realizes, Maybe I've never been in control. Maybe I believe that lie. 
And it's a sobering reality. I don't have control anymore. And so he's anxious and he's afraid and he runs away. When we get anxious, it's usually rooted in the realization we are not in control, but we're grappling and trying to gain control back. And it never, it never works. And whenever we're anxious, we're afraid, we have faulty thinking. We are not thinking clearly. Look, look at Elijah. He says, I'm afraid Jezebel's going to kill me. Run! And he runs away into the wilderness and he says, God, kill me. What? That's illogical. I'm afraid that I'm going to die. I want to die. Doesn't make any sense. When we worry, we have fear and anxiety. We don't think clearly. Which is why we just have to pause. We need to put it down. We need to just take a time out. We're not thinking clearly. Sleep on it. Call somebody. Elijah's not thinking clearly. He's thinking illogically. He's realized he doesn't have control. I told you earlier, pretending is, is, is exhausting. So I'm gonna take off the Christian veneer. I have battled anxiety my entire life. And I don't really know why. Comes and goes. Uh, I see a counselor from time to time and, and it's been really helpful. One of the things the counselor said to me that was like, wow, that's an epiphany. Okay, we're going somewhere now. He said to me, enlightenment is overrated. In other words, he's saying, yeah, we've unpacked a lot about your life and your history and it's been helpful, but here's the problem. Even though we might identify the root, we still have to deal with the fruit. We still have to come up with a plan. What do we do going forward? There's still action steps that have to be taken. So what I realized was a lot of it's rooted in me feeling like I've got to be perfect and everything has to be under control. But now I go, okay, that's where it came from, but it still doesn't fix it. So here's one thing that works for me. It helps me. And I just want to share it with you and it might help you too. I let go of control. I realize I'm not in control of things that are happening externally. The only thing I can control is what's happening internally. I can't control my kid's behavior. I can only control whether or not I choose to lead them well. I can't control my wife. I can only control if I choose to love her well. And then here's the next thing I've done. I've let go of control of things externally. I'm trying to control things internally. And here's what I mean. I have decided that I'm gonna stop listening to myself and I'm gonna start talking to myself. Woo! Now, I wish that I could take credit for that, but that comes straight from David, King David. Look, if you were to actually do a deep dive and look at what I refer to as the Bible Hero Hall of Fame, you will realize that all these people we hold up on a pedestal, they all suffer from mental illness. Not, not necessarily a chemical imbalance or genetics, but they all had depression or anxiety. David, one time he said, day and night, I feast on my tears. <laughs> Man, in Psalm 42, David says this. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? In other words, he's allowing himself to hear his own thoughts, dangerous. But I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my God, my savior. Here's what I think happened. I think David's like, well, I do not feel good. I'm depressed, I'm tired. Things are not going my way. Why is that? And I think that all of a sudden he started listening to himself. And here's what he heard. It's because you're a bad king. It's because you can't keep your house in order. It's because you're all about you. No one likes you, David. They only respect you because they have to. You're the king after all. And I think he was like, 
whoa. And he started to dump all that out and replacing it with talking to himself. No, 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 no. I am chosen. I am anointed. God says I'm a man after his own heart. I am a good king. I am a good dad. I am a good husband. I can do this through the strength he provides. He starts talking to himself and the anxiety and the fear starts to wither away. I do this and it's been really helpful. It hasn't fixed everything, but it's focused a lot of things. And sometimes Jessica, my wife, she'll stumble upon me hear me talking to myself. It's kind of awkward. She walks in, she's like, is everything okay? And I'm like, yes, just, just having a moment right now. And I'm saying, you can do this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God is not done with me. I can preach. You can get back up there and do it. Your better days are ahead. You are a good daddy. You are a good husband. I start talking to myself. And listen, sometimes I go preschool on it. I start saying preschool prayers. Thank you for my food, Lord. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my shoes. Whatever you gotta do, but you just, you just gotta start talking to yourself to help you out. Anxiety is caused by fear, which really is caused by recognizing that we're not in control. We never really have been. I can't control things on the outside, but I can control things on the inside. I told my daughter the other day, she was really upset because she had some thoughts coming to her mind that she was not proud of and did not like, and she just was beating herself up about it. And I said, Adeline, sweetheart, you sometimes can't control the thoughts that come into your mind, but you can control whether or not you let them live there. So I'm just trying to help her. It's not my fault. Do you ever think of weird things? Crazy things sometimes? You're like, what? It's not your fault but you can decide whether or not they get to take up residency in your mind and whether you carry them out. So you gotta start talking to yourself. So Elijah, he's afraid. He recognizes he's not in control anymore. He, he's fearful, anxiety has set in. And now he leaves his servant and goes off by himself into the wilderness. Here's the second observation. Depression causes isolation. Whenever you're anxious, Depression's usually around the corner. And if you're depressed, here's what depression says. And it's a deception, it's a lie. Depression says, you are alone and you need to be alone. Just be by yourself. It's funny, Elijah, he runs away in fear and anxiety. He gets to Bathsheba with his boy. And then he's like, you know what? I'm not feeling really good about this. I'm kind of feeling depressed. You stay there. I'm going by myself into the wilderness. The last place you should go by yourself is the wilderness. And yeah, that's what Elijah does. He goes off by himself. He isolates himself. Remember, when we're anxious, we're not thinking clearly. And if we aren't careful, we will then find ourselves in a place of depression, which can happen. And then we decide to stay there by ourselves. Isolation is the worst place to fight your battles from. The worst place. But the devil definitely wants to wage war with you there. Do you know when the devil... He tempted Jesus. Do you remember that story in Matthew 4? When was it? It was after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and he went into the wilderness by himself. And then the devil pounced like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It was in that moment of physical, mental exhaustion whenever the devil pounced on, on Jesus. Do you remember whenever the devil attacked Eve in the Garden of Eden? When was it? When she was by her she left her husband, was by herself. She was isolated. We have to remember that isolation is the worst place to fight your battles. 
That's exactly where the devil wants you. We got to play into God's playbook. And here's some relieving news, because sometimes I think we look for these ethereal solutions. I want you to know that oftentimes God's remedy for our problems is people. And I can hear it right now. Somebody's saying, well, I'm not a people person. Yes, you are. I don't believe you. And here's why. When God created Adam, shortly thereafter, it's the first time the Lord ever said something wasn't good. It wasn't good, he said, that man should be alone. So he creates a helper suitable for him because we need people. You don't have to be the life of the party. You don't have to change your personality to come to the realization that you need community. You need relationships. Community is not just for extroverts and front huggers. I'm married to front hugger, you guys. Her whole family, they're, whole, they're all front huggers. They're from Cuba, they're Cuban. And so they're not only front huggers, they're cheek kissers. And growing up, I mean, I was not lacking love in my home, but there was not a lot of physical affection. Okay? So when I met Jessica for the first time and her family, it was like, whoa! And then she took me over to Mima's house, her abuela. And I went over there and I walked right through the door and she was there to greet me and I stuck up my hand because the millions shake hands. It's like, hello. And she was like, she swatted that hand out of the way and she came in for a big old front hug. And not only that, her face got real close to mine. And I was like, oh, and I dodged right. And then she went right and I tried to counteract and go left. And she went left. And before you know it, my lips drag across hers. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and we've been close ever since. <laughs> you don't have to be an extrovert and a front hugger to realize that you need people. People who don't have people don't find freedom. People who don't have people don't have hope. People who don't have people don't make it. You and I need people. It's hardwired into who we are. Don't fight your battle from isolation. Proverbs 4, uh, 24, 16 says, when you wage a war, do it around many counselors so that you can find victory. And if you have depression or you know someone who does, you are in the fight of your life. And you have to have people around you, people who are for you, people who will fight with you, people who will come to your house and pick up your kids and take them to ice cream because you just need a minute. People who will come over and clean the inside of your house and also mow your lawn because you just don't feel like getting out of bed. You have to have people who will call you in the late hours of the night to check on you, make sure you're okay. They will respond to your calls. When you call them, you've got to have people. I'm here to tell you, white snake is wrong. You're not a drifter born to walk alone. You didn't see that white snake reference coming, did you? We all need people. James 5, 14 says, if any one of you is sick, he must call on the elders of the church so they can come and pray for him and anoint him with oil. Here's that tells me. It tells me, one, you are as sick as your secrets. Number two, if you're sick, the burden falls on the sick person to tell other people they need help. You've got to tell somebody. Don't tell everybody. Don't go onto Facebook. Boy, man, I feel so bad. People go onto Facebook and they're like, blah. And I'm thinking, Geez. don't tell everybody because not everybody's for you. They might tell you they are. Mm -mm. You have to have somebody who's for you. Don't tell everybody. Tell somebody. Isolation is the worst place to fight your battles, but depression will tell you it's the place you need to be and the place you need to stay. You've got to fight back. So Elijah, he goes into isolation and he's under this juniper tree, under this cloud of depression. And, 
And what I love is, is that the Lord sends an angel. The Lord sends an angel down to shame him. No, that's not what he did. If you feel shame, you feel accused, you feel worthless, you feel like life is better without you, people won't miss you if you're gone, I'm telling you that is the devil himself. The Lord does not shame, the Lord does not blame, the Lord comforts, the Lord won't shame you, he will shower you with compassion and love, to be clear. And so the Lord sends an angel to shower him with compassion. And the Lord tells the angel, you know, tell Elijah that it's okay, that he might need some time. He might need some time to just be. Can I tell you today that maybe one of the things you need to be able to conquer and defeat depression is time? Sometimes you need a day, sometimes you need days, sometimes you need a month or months, sometimes it's more than a year. Restoration at times takes, takes time. It's a process. I remember there was one time whenever this woman and she was hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging from within and she reached out and touched Jesus' cloak and healed immediately. But I also remember another time whenever Elisha, he tells Naaman to go dip in the Jordan seven times. One, not healed. Two, not healed. Sometimes it takes time. And other times like Paul, he never was healed fully of the thorn in his flesh, but he actually was healed on the inside knowing that God is strong, God is with him, hasn't forsaken him, and he will reveal his grace in and through his life. Sometimes you need time. Elijah got as much time as you can fit two naps into. He's like, go to sleep. All right, now get up and eat something. All right, now go back to sleep. Now get up, eat something, drink something. Okay, go back to sleep. That's what happened. Now, when I read this, it messed me up. Because I'm thinking if anybody is in position to receive a miracle, it's the miracle worker himself. It's Elijah. If God's gonna perform a supernatural miracle and heal somebody of depression, it is Elijah. But God doesn't do it. Instead, he tells him to sleep and eat. What I'm about to say is gonna shock some people. I wonder how many times our problems, some of them at least could be solved if we would just get eight hours of sleep and eat better. Bye-bye, Whataburger. Don't you know that you're three in one, you're made in the image of God? And as he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mind, body, and soul. Don't you know that? And if you're not getting proper sleep, it means that your mind is not gonna be operating optimally. And if you don't eat right, your body is going to be compromised, which means your soul doesn't stand a chance of carrying the other two. They're all invariably linked. They gotta work together. Sometimes you gotta eat and sleep. But at some point in time, you gotta get up. You gotta get going. That's the first action step. Get up get going. The angel told Elijah, get up. It's time to go. At some point in time, you got to get out of the bed. You got to get going. Now listen to me. Small steps. Sometimes you just get up out of the bed, put both feet on the ground. Okay. And lay back down. I get it. Sometimes you get up, you go all the way to the mailbox. A bill? No, pay the bill. You'll be more depressed if you don't. Sometimes you gotta get up and go into the shower, get clean, do your hair, put some actual clothes on, not PJs. Sometimes you gotta get up and take a walk around the neighborhood so you give yourself the gift of endorphins. But you gotta get up. Sometimes you gotta get up and go to the doctor. In fact, go to the doctor. Pray, worship, go get help. I think medication can be a gift from God. In some cases, it's very appropriate. Every good and perfect gift comes from above is what James chapter 117 says. I believe that involves medication. It's a modern day miracle in a lot of ways. Now, self-medication is not helpful ever. Substance abuse, spinning my way out of it, friending my way out of it, 
or some other form of escapism, that's never helpful. It actually causes more problems. Numbing never solves the problem. You gotta get up. You gotta get going. So Elijah does. He gets up and he goes all the way to Mount Sinai, 40 days journey. If he wasn't tired already, whoo. He goes to Mount Sinai and when he gets there, the Lord says, what are you doing here? <laughs> I love that. I love it when God asks us questions. Like he's not omniscient, like he doesn't know. What are you, and did you think that he was confused? He's like, oh, Elijah, I wasn't expecting you in the cave. No, he knows. God does not ask us questions because he's inquiring, but because he's inspiring. God asks us questions so we can get to a place of vulnerability and honesty and actually tell him what's going on. Be honest and truthful about where we are because God will not heal what we don't reveal. So Elijah spills the beans. I mean, he's just like, Lord, I'm the only prophet, I'm, which wasn't true. Remember whenever you're anxious and you're fearful and depressed, you're not thinking clearly. And, and, and I've done all this work for you. And look, here I am, tired, worn out. I just wanna die. And, and then God's like, okay, okay. Because I'm a good counselor, okay, I'm, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. You done? All right, go stand right there. Be still. Watch me work. Because the Lord's not in this fire. He's not in this earthquake. It says that after all that stuff happens, a gentle whisper is how God reveals himself and speaks to Elijah. So here's my next, next action step. Be still, but don't stop. Be quiet, but don't quit. See, in Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. The word still in the Hebrew is rapha, which means to get quiet. So being still in God's presence isn't as much about being static as it is about being silent. We got to get into his presence. You you, you have to have a word from God to be able to battle against the enemy, the equal opportunity enemy known as depression and anxiety. You have to have a word from God. And so Elijah goes into the Mount Sinai and he's still, and he hears God speak and God says, hey, listen, I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. You've slept, you've ate, you've gotten some good rest. Now it's time to get going. You're being still, but it's not time to stop. Better days are ahead. I'm gonna have you appoint the next king, anoint the next prophet. You and Elisha, you're gonna continue to do great things. Your ministry is still out in front of you. Don't believe the fallacy of false finish lines where you think that once you've arrived to a certain place, life's over, you can just sail from here. No, 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 We've got work to do. I've been with you. I'm still with you. I'll always be with you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. He breathes fresh life into Elijah's soul. When you get still in the presence of God, That's what happens. Where's your Mount Sinai? Mine is my kid's playroom. (laughs) We got a one-story house. Uh, I'm proud of it. It's it's, it's a great house, been there for a long time, and we don't have an office or anything like that. So where do I go? I go to my kid's playroom. And it's messy in there. But I'm not really sure who makes the bigger mess. My kids are me. Because when I go in there, 4 a.m. in the morning, I'm just like, blah, and I just tell God all that's going on. And he listens, and he's like, okay, good, yep. Yeah, I, yeah, I see all that. I'm with you. All right, now would you be still? But don't stop because I got an assignment for you, but would you be still? And so I try to listen. Now, sometimes I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to hear God's voice. I mean, I wish he would like James Earl Jones, just speak the real deep voice. That'd be awesome. But if I want a guaranteed word from God, I get into God's word. And then he speaks. And if you're depressed, my recommendation is Romans 8 because it begins with there's no condemnation, it ends with there's no separation, and in the middle, it talks about how God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know there's an upside to being down? 
And it's that God is close when you're crushed. Yeah. He wants to speak to you. you Gotta be still. Don't stop. Your better days are ahead. I believe that for you. Get up. Get going. Be still in his presence, but don't stop. If you're not dead, he is not done with you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and have heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you have depression, you are done. You're tired. But I'm convinced of this. Surely as Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was placed in a tomb and then walked out on his own three days later, I believe by his resurrection power that you too, although you feel dead on the inside like you're in a tomb, that you can get up and get going and walk through this season by his resurrection power. And he's with you. He's for you. You are loved. Get up. Get going. Be still, but don't stop. That is a rested development. Lord, it's with heaviness that we come to you today. We recognize that there's no promise that we will be insulated from problems in life, but there is a promise that you will be with us in it. Lord, I'm reminded in Isaiah 61, one of the ministries of Jesus is that he will help us trade beauty for ashes and give us a garment of praise for heaviness and depression. So I pray that is what falls on this place today. Help us to have the courage to get up and get going and remember that our better days are ahead. You are with us, you are for us, and we will be still in your presence, but we won't stop. I pray all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.